0: You're gathered into mostly groups of three now, and this brings up a number of things in and of itself. All of your practice has been in groups of two, except for the occasional spillover situation. So for most of you, this is your first group of more than two. Insight Dialogue as a meditation practice can be practiced in groups of pretty much any size, although I suppose there's an upper limit of some sort for reasons of physics. But here you have not a very large group, but substantial differences, yeah? Well, you'll see. Yes and no. Your first contemplation then is just what it's like, just that. So many things you could notice, where you place the visual attention. What happens with the guideline open? What is this relationality when it's not just with one other clear focus, but opening to others, plural. And while you're investigating this, I'd like to invite you to specifically notice and speak about whether it has any impact on mindfulness. Can mindfulness know this ongoing situation? So for example, if there's discomfort and you don't know where to look or anything like that, are you aware of that? Are you keeping in mind, remembering to notice the fact of being aware of it? And so you can comment on that as well as on, of course, the more blunt object of the feeling or of the awkwardness or the pleasure or the whatever. Another thing to note about practice as groups get larger, it's, it's very much true in groups of two, but it gets much more important when the groups get to be three and four and so on. And it's another way of looking at listen deeply, speak the truth. And that is balance, balance of listening and speaking. Some of you speak more easily and you speak more often. And so the generosity in this case is to give ear, to do listening. And to look for and maintain actively your sense of responsibility or care or generosity about that balance. So check yourself out. Make it a practice. It's very easy to get carried away. And those who tend to listen more and not speak so much, well, you have a little bit larger group, it's a little bit easier to hide again and not speak. So here the act of generosity is to speak and to bring your responsibility as well, or your care or your generosity for balance. And when groups get even larger, it's, you know, you can imagine it's more important. So this is also something that can be known by mindfulness. And if you care to speak, You know, if this is the truth to be spoken, fine. Again, beginning with just what's this like in the group of three? And also, how is the mindfulness? How does this affect the mindfulness? If at all, can you be mindful of it while it's happening? pausing relaxing and seeing what opening is here just enough of an interruption to notice how mindfulness is and is it being named are you naming how mindfulness fits in with your practice now i mean Not theoretically, but is it affected? Is it present? Is it strong? Is it weak? Mindfulness is what will know, this balance of listening and speaking. Is that being remembered? Just exploring the practice a little longer. What's this like now in this larger group? giving particular attention to any impact one way or another, or the steadiness or absence of mindfulness. And you can speak of it, right? You can name it. What else would be knowing what's happening? when we ask what is the path, what is it that constitutes this movement towards freeing the heart, towards the escape from prison, the getting out of debt, the becoming well, in the deepest sense. And, The Buddha, anyway, seemed to say, it begins with right view. And the invitation now is to explore the path as it could or is manifesting for you in the development of right view. So let me just share a couple of teachings that relate exactly to what's happening now as I'm speaking. You're hearing these words. These words refer to the path. They come from a root wisdom tradition. And so something of this root wisdom tradition is being spoken and therefore moving from the thoughts and feelings or wisdom or understanding of this mind to you, as I'm speaking. There's listening happening. This is exactly the two conditions the Buddha described as the necessary conditions for the arising of right view. The voice of another and wise attention. So this could be also recognized in your practice in your group now. As you're exploring, how do I do this? What is, is this important to me? Am I going to make a point of it? Where do I find the voice of another? Or, in our case, we also have books and internet and videos and so on. Will I give it wise attention? What happens when I do? Where do I give unwise attention, if you want, if that helps? All the dispersal factors, but really try to focus on the wholesome quality, the development of right view, samadhiti, wise understanding. (coughs) And some other parameters, the... Uh, Five, you might say, practices that conduce to the development of right view, that support the arising of right view. Virtue. The mind can be simple and clear and no experience without being lost in its fear and remorse and anger and cruelty. So... Virtue. Learning. How does learning happen? Discussion. I think we know how that happens. Tranquility. And insight. Where are these in your life? Where, how, how do you practice in your life right view? How could you, how do you want to? Is is it important? Where will those conversations take place? That voice of another, who is that? Who are they? Are you ready to give wise attention? Are you ready to be the voice of wisdom also? I don't know. See for yourself. the first factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. Also the culmination, of course, wise view, wisdom, liberative understanding. But we start right where we are, right here, sitting with this butt on this chair, this cushion. This is it, guys. Listen deeply. Speak the truth. Voice of another wise attention. Right here. The next path factor that I'm going to invite you to consider is what puts right view to work. It puts that wisdom, that understanding to work which is right or wise or harmonious intention. So look at it this way. If your view is, let's say, limited and mundane, then all of your actions in the world will be oriented towards feeding hunger. That's how it works. One pleasure, one satisfaction, one fear, just jumping from one to the next. Coming to understand this and the suffering inherent in this, not just through thinking about it, but through knowing with the body, the wisdom in the body. One naturally inclines, the heart is drawn towards the releasing of the hungers that drive it and towards the ease of loving-kindness, compassion, and stepping out of acquisitiveness, stepping out of getting and making, kind of renunciation or different relationship So just contemplate for a few minutes with your spiritual friends whether the remaining ensconced in the domination of hunger is what you want. And if you touch a space where the heart does intend towards peace, it does intend towards rather than self-obsession, it intends towards loving kindness and compassion, then notice that intending, notice that turning, that directing, that natural move of the heart. because that's where all action of the mind, of speech, of the body comes from. So we're at the root here. As you walk now, I invite you to contemplate while you walk, not just practice your mindfulness more. Contemplate individually, in silence, in your own heart. Is this turning of the mind, of the life, Really something that you want to do, that means something to you. Do you feel it? Because the, the, certainly the life of hungers and trying to feed them, that's what we've learned and that's what our culture supports. That's for sure. All of our advertising, many of our sweet friendships even, a lot of our artwork, popular media, point towards our famishment. Constantly, constantly hungry. And how can we feed? So that's not something you have to really Try to maintain. It will be well maintained for you. No worries. So, does the wisdom have any purchase in your heart? Any traction? When the road is slippery, the vehicle can't turn, it just goes where the forces of momentum take it. Do you have traction? Do you want traction? How do you continue to develop and maintain it? But right now, just think, where am I going? This is a reflection on sama sankapa, right intention, wise direction of the mind, of the heart. I hope your practice is good. We'll move now directly to the path factor of right effort. And to give you a summary, this teaching, this guidance, is basically out with the bad, in with the good. That's the basics of right effort. And now I'll give you the technical way of saying that same thing. To prevent the arising of the unwholesome to abandon the unwholesome that has already arisen, to cultivate the arising of the wholesome, the unarisen wholesome, and to maintain and increase the arisen wholesome, out with the bad, in with the good. Sometimes, especially among meditation circles, it can be found, um, this reaction to words like, striving and zeal and energy and effort, apply your mind, stuff like that. because the association, without knowing it, is with wrong effort, effort associated with tension and greed, and pushing to attain a certain state, or something like this. And it ties in with our cultural inclination towards a kind of brute force, hard work, uh, I-can-do-it kind of ethic. That's just unskillful effort. And sometimes the result, when we come to the Buddhist path, is that right effort is about just kind of hanging out. Going to be groovy. But we're talking about the difference between a life imprisoned in ignorance and hunger or a life <coughs> liberated. Release, freedom, joy, happiness, peace, love a big deal. And we're talking about engaging in such a life in a culture that goes directly towards the hunger and the feeding and the distraction. Towards the self-obsession. We're going against the stream for sure. So if you think of it as a swimmer, You hop into the river. The river is flowing a certain way. Do you need to swim to go the other way? And think about the effort that you put into other things. How many of you have had a long-term relationship that's required no effort? How many of you, if you have raised children, have raised children without any effort? Dream on. (laughs) How about becoming free from addiction, smoking or alcohol? Has that taken effort? How about the work you've done in psychotherapy? Has that taken effort? How about the work you put in at work to really get something done, to build something up, if any of you have done startups or anything other than work in a situation where, I don't know, maybe your employer doesn't care and you don't care, how hard have you had to work? And now we're talking about imprisonment or freedom suffering, the cessation of suffering. So, you're invited to contemplate with your spiritual friends the quality of your effort and perhaps even the quality of effort you aspire to. And the support that you can get from each other, from your other spiritual friends, because you cannot do this alone, that's a guarantee. So what's your commitment to bringing real energy, To turning away and preventing the unwholesome. To abandoning the unwholesome that's already present, whether it's personality patterns or lifestyles or just a thought that is cruel and harmful. To abandoning the life patterns that sustain impoverishment. What's the commitment? What's the quality of effort you're putting in, ready to put in? and Where do you find support for putting it in to cultivate the wholesome, to develop even a greater generosity, to develop sympathetic joy that maybe is needing attention here? or loving-kindness, or developing mindfulness and concentration. Of course, that's where we see the meditative path. (coughs) Developing the wisdom element, which you've talked about. Cultivating a wholesome life. What effort, what energy, what application, what support Maybe what you really want is a kind of a casual, slowly floating with the stream in the same direction, just not as fast as everybody else. That's okay too. And maybe you really wanna, you know, hold the fragrance of freedom dear. All of this energy that we put in, or this path that we cultivate, it's not outside of the context of the whole life. Certainly, when the Buddha spoke about the path, spoke about the holy life, He spoke about how we relate to our families, how we relate to our work. He spoke about the everyday acts and the extraordinary acts of giving. Obviously he spoke about extraordinary practices, formal, rigorous practice. And even that, however, was situated in a context of a life of practice. It wasn't like you had the constructs we have now of uh, sort of insane lifestyles and retreat that bifurcate in this painful way so what's an unbifurcated life what's a life of wholeness where this effort is infused sometimes it's an effort an extraordinary effort on retreat sometimes perhaps an extraordinary extraordinary effort of love and generosity towards, let's say, people who are hurting or people in our family. What is the wholeness of this life look like for you, where the kind of traction that you've been talking about is not just manifesting in some spotty way. It's sustainable. It's not uh, uh, um, I'm just gonna work really hard for a week on retreat or I'm just gonna work on this one thing but there's a sense of really investigation that keeps the mind engaged. There's a sense of the deep appreciation for relaxation and steadiness a love of sitting quietly or of study, a love of calming the mind, a love of service, whatever it is for you, but that it infuses the life. One of the ways that you could see this in the formal teachings of the path is right livelihood. Why would that be a path factor? Because we spend most of our time at it. Hello? How many mind moments do you spend at work? Add them up. Uncountable. So, letting the mind widen out to the sense of a whole life. It includes your retreat life. It includes your life of, let's say, study or reflection. It includes your work life. It includes your family life. It includes your community and service. It includes your quiet time. Of course, that means it's also including all those moments of television or video games or something and maybe the path in those moments isn't so strong so you know it's an honesty in it as well right so let the let the mind get wide let the heart get wide to sense a, a whole path. Where is there life in it? How can you um, infuse life into it? So that's the intention, right? That's the guiding of it. It's not just you're not a victim of this life. Some things are given, of course. But we make choices all the time. Is meditation practice part of it really, or is it just sort of here and there? Is it worth it, does it make a difference? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. See for yourself. Explore it with your spiritual friends. The whole life. How does this relate to the intention and direction of your life and the strength of effort? The real commitment, real sense of vision. What's that for you? may care to offer any thanks to your spiritual friends. And we'll gather together in the circle. Thank you for your practice.